This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And good evening, Hearts of Oak. We're joining you on a pre-record a few days before you get this. And it is absolutely wonderful to talk to someone who I'm hoping will make sense of some of the financial chaos we find ourselves in. And that is Ed Dowd. Ed, thank you so much for your time today. Peter, great to be here and thank you for having me on. Not at all. And at Edward Dowd on Getter, all the best people are on Getter after getting kicked off Twitter. So you can follow Ed on Getter and also edwarddowd.com is the website of his book. And if I can give an introduction, then maybe we can touch on your book. And then there's a lot to talk about on the on the financial side. But Ed is a former Wall Street analyst and BlackRock portfolio manager, where he managed a $14 billion growth equity portfolio for 10 years. So he knows his stuff. He is also author of the upcoming book, Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 22, with a foreword by Robert Kennedy Jr. And that is out on ebook and is coming out on hardback. Um, maybe before you introduce yourself, Ed, do you want to just touch on the book? Because the book is quite different from, I guess, your professional background. Well, it's different, but not different. So uh, I'm a pattern recognition guy. When I pick stocks, I try to identify trends before the herd. And uh, a stock picker that's good um, makes an investment thesis based on uh, disparate facts, it creates an analyst mosaic and makes the most amount of money by being early before everyone sees it. I live in the world between perception and reality. Um, I try to find a, a situation where everyone's perception is wrong and reality is, is the other way. And then I invest. And then as people's perception shifts over to the reality, that's how you make all your money. This is the same situation with the vaccine issue. I, in in uh, early 2021, uh, I started hearing anecdotal stories of sudden death, uh, people getting injured, and it was just anecdotal, but I know from my statistical background that that should not be happening with a safe, quote unquote, safe and effective drug. Um, and so I we became very suspicious and, uh, you know, put on my analyst hat and said, well, if this is really as bad as I think it is, it'll sh eventually show up in insurance company results and funeral home results, which it did. And then, uh, I got some prominence because because Dr. Malone came to the island. I was already on Twitter saying what I was saying. He elevated my uh, media presence, and it kind of took off from there. And then I built a team around me of experts, insurance analysts, whistleblowers. And now I have a hedge fund with two PhD physicists in Portugal. And the book was pitched to me in August by um, Gavin DeBecker, who wrote the afterword. And uh, he said, it's uh, my message is a little different from everybody else's because it's just numbers. And... Uh, and that's all it is. So basically, the book starts off with anecdotes. It takes you through the, uh, the, uh, the theory and the thesis of the case as I see it. And the numbers are the numbers, the data is the data. And the, and the, the data shows that there's definitely all-cause mortality on the rise since the vaccines. Disability is exploding since the vaccines. Uh, we have different countries. We've got Denmark, UK. We've got the US. Um, and we just launched my team. Uh, in Portugal, just launched the Humanity Project, which can be found on our website, uh, financetechnologies.com. It's P-H-I, not, not F, it's finance with a P-H-I. 
And the Humanities, Humanities Project is basically the UK, all of Europe, the US is about to come out. I've already done a lot of work on the US. And uh, that's, that's, that's the evidence of the case. The book also doesn't go into the who or why, uh, because you know that is a lot of speculation. But what I can tell you is a crime has occurred. We're in cover-up mode, and the authorities see what we see, and uh, they definitely know. And at this point, it's a cover-up and, and, and criminal negligence. Uh, the why and the who could be a second book. They want me to do a second book. I don't like writing, so we'll see what happens. But we can definitely talk about the who and the why today. Um, that's and I have speculation. I have a, a thesis on that, but we can talk about that for sure. Oh, well, there's the book on the screen, Cause Unknown, and it is available on ebook and the hardback coming. 13th of 13th of December, just in time for Christmas. So uh, we'll follow that certainly closely. But Ed, could I just ask you me to give, uh, I mentioned a little bit of your background, but if you could give a little bit more of your background, your financial background. Sure. So I started off my career after college. I went to University of Notre Dame in Indiana. Um, my senior year was the last year we won a national championship. I just want to say that out loud, our football team. <laughs> but uh, uh, I went on to um, uh, work at HSBC, which is, you know, you're familiar with that bank in the UK. That's Hong Kong yep. Shanghai Bank. And I was in Chicago. I was an institutional fixed income salesperson. And my first five years, I learned the credit markets. I learned the repo markets, which is the overnight lending markets. I learned derivatives. I learned interest rates. I learned currencies. I learned how the guts of the system works and how the economy works into uh, inter, you know, how it interplays with interest rates and what the Federal Reserve does as the world reserve currency. So I know how the guts of the system works. And then I wanted to become a portfolio manager in equities. So I went back to business school um, at Indiana University and then graduated from there uh, in 1997, right into the dot-com boom. My first job out of business school was with Donaldson Lufkin and Genret, which is an investment bank that no longer exists. It was bought by Credit Suisse, but I was in ground zero of dot-com fraud. Now, I wasn't part of the fraud. I was an electric util utility analyst in the equity research department, but down the hall were the internet folks. And there was, there was a, what we call, that fraud was a lack of due diligence. In the old days, Investment banks used to make sure that the companies had revenues and cash flows. Well, as you know, the dot-com days, it was just companies with revenues and losses. And uh, most of those companies went to zero, but Wall Street made a killing. And uh, I, saw the, I saw the nonsense there. So that was my first eye-opening experience to understanding how fraud just kind of plays into the whole game and has for, you know, it's been a part of capitalism since the beginning, and it, it usually... Um, ends at the end of an interest rate hike cycle. So in 2000, I left, uh, uh, 1999, I left DLJ and went up to Boston to work at a firm called Independence Investments where I was a tech analyst. And I saw that, I saw the fraud, I saw what was gonna happen and I made some calls as a young analyst. And I um, got a good name in town and parlayed that into a portfolio management job at BlackRock in 2002. Um, and, uh, that's when I uh, started managing money for BlackRock for 10 years. And my, you know, I, I would sit down with CEOs right across from them in our conference room. And my job was to figure out whether they were lying to me. And uh, that's, so I have a nose for bullshit, uh, quite frankly. And uh, saw the great financial crisis coming. And uh, we steered our ship through that and gained a lot of market share on the other side. Then left BlackRock in 2012 
moved to Maui with my now ex-wife. She started a business. I tried to start a business with some people. I've been an entrepreneur ever since, starting a new hedge fund. But uh, when this COVID thing hit, you know, I was like everybody. I was like, well, because of my place in the financial markets, I knew COVID was coming before anybody on Maui did. So I was the freak who went to Costco a month before anybody knew anything. <laughs> I bought all the, I, I bought all the, I bought, you know, two months worth of food. I bought all the toilet paper, <laughs> told my friends, they thought I was insane. Then all of a sudden they freaked out. But then a month after COVID hit, I realized this is, this smells super bad. There's something weird going on here. And, uh, that's, so that's my background. And, we can talk about what I smelled and how uh, I knew that, you know, this was going to turn into something other than what we were told. Ed, could you take us back a few steps and probably explain how easy money and I guess a series of frauds and scandals over maybe the last 12, 15 years, I think have brought us to the situation we now find ourselves, which I guess has been sped on by COVID. But stepping kind of prior to that, um, can you explain what kind of led up to the situation we now find ourselves in financially? Sure. So it all kind of began in 1913 with the Federal Reserve creation. The central banks were created in 1913. And for a while, um, it facilitated you know, actual economic activity uh, where they would print money or, you know, have, it's basically a monopoly on interest rates. So low interest rates are easier money, high interest rates are tighter money. So just keep that in mind. And it's a, it's a fractional reserve banking system. So it needs constant credit creation to survive. And the idea with the Federal Reserve banks and central banks was they were the buyer of last resort. They were, uh, there were, you know, there were a lot of panics, uh, prior to the creation of the Federal Reserve, banking panics and banks would go bankrupt and there was really no stability to, well, the system was self-cleansing. I, I would argue that, 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 that we should go back to that, but there was a lot of you know, hand-wringing. We need, to, we need this central bank system to stabilize things. Well, it became a monopoly and uh, you, know, uh, you fast forward to uh, the 80s um, we started to basically ship in the U.S. all of our production and manufacturing overseas. So we finished. We started to what was the beginning of the service economy, the financialization of the economy, and the Federal Reserve was doing what it was what it was doing. But you know, it, it, it again, it needs constant credit creation. And in the '90s, we had a uh, rise in interest rates and a recession and some scandals. With our Kidder Peabody, there was some bond scandals, mortgage-backed scandals. There was fraud in the early 90s, and there was the SNL crisis. And so what happens is you, you, you print money. The Fed doesn't direct where the money goes. The money goes to different parts of the economy. Um, it starts to grow because of the credit. And then the, the real economic activity happens. But then eventually the party uh, lasts too long, and it turns into fraud. And then the fraud usually gets exposed when the Federal Reserve takes the punch bowl away and raises interest rates. And if you look at every recession, since the financialization of the economy, it's been fraud uh, that ends that usually is uncovered. So um, you see who's swimming naked when when the tide goes out. And so the SNL crisis. Then yet then we had the dot com crisis. Uh, then uh, the Fed after that one, the stock markets went down fifty percent. We had a recession in two thousand two thousand one. We had nine eleven. The Fed turned on the, the money spigot pretty hard, and then it went into housing, and that. You know, there was a real estate boom. And again, it started off okay. 
Then it ended spectacularly in fraud where there were, you know, strippers buying, uh, uh, you know, $2 million homes on spec. And they were getting the money because the banks were basically engaged in fraud. It's, you know, it was a controlled fraud. Then that, that blew up. Now, that, because it, 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 it was, you know, in the dot-com boom, it was co corporate fraud. And then in the, in the 2007, 2008 crisis, it was banking fraud. And that was systemic because that was a big problem. So what ended up happening? The central banks came in and bought all that fraud. That fraud never disappeared. That just went on to the, the balance sheet of the central banks. And that's when the government, in my humble opinion, kind of took over Wall Street. And why do I say that? Because not one banker went to jail not one banker, okay? So there's been this cozy relationship between the government and banking ever since. Um, and there's been what I call crony capitalism and kind of a zombie economy since the great financial crisis. And the only people that seem to have done super well are those who um, are close to the printing machines. Uh, corporate C-suite executives, because they issue themselves stock and free money, easy money causes asset prices to rise. Real estate developers, hedge fund managers who got so big they decided that uh, they wouldn't take a lot of risk and they started just basically becoming glorified asset managers, clipping 2% fees. So those are the people who've gotten super wealthy. Now, every now and then there was an entrepreneur that actually created some value in a company. They got rich. Sure. Okay, fine. But most people in the, in the Western nations have been struggling since the great financial crisis and kind of um, not getting ahead. The wealth has been concentrated into a few oligarchs and some super wealthy people that got they got wealthier. Um, lending to normal people kind of disappeared. If you were a billionaire and you had your billion dollars at J.P. Morgan, you had access to one percent money, so you could borrow five hundred million at one percent. J.P. Morgan felt good because they had a billion dollars of your net worth in their banking system, so that was a collateral, and then you could go play around with that. So this has been the game. Uh, the rich got richer, and everybody else kind of struggled. Um, you fast forward to uh, uh, 2019, those of us on Wall Street have been speculating, okay, who's going to bail out the central banks? And by the way, the politicians spent like drunken sailors after the financial yeah. crisis. So there, we, had, we, had a, we had a huge growth in, in sovereign debt and just leverage in the system. So we, we, we healed the leverage problem that we had in the great financial crisis with more leverage and more debt. That's, it sounds insane, but that's what they did. We call that kicking the can down the road. And that can lasted, you know, almost 12 years uh, or 10 years to 2019. And in 2019, there was evidence of a global synchronized slowdown. And we could see that the financial markets were about to become unhinged. And there was a repo crisis in the fall of 2019. And what I mean by repo, repo is repurchase agreements done with uh, overnight lending between other banks and the Federal Reserve, and those interest rates spiked. So the guts of the system was about to come unglued. Stock markets were wobbling a little bit. And then, then miraculously, in January and February of 2020, COVID came along. And boy, what a great thing that was for the Federal Reserve. Why was that great? Because that was an excuse to print unprecedented money to save the system. And they printed 65% increase in the money supply, the biggest increase we'd ever seen. They also took more power. Uh, Congress allowed them to buy corporate credit for the first time ever. You know, the Federal Reserve had only been able to buy treasuries and mortgage-backed securities backed by housing and, and federal home loans. So agency debt, we call that, and uh, treasury securities. Now they could buy corporate credit. So 
that was a big power grab. And sure enough, you know, the economy took a dive, stock markets took a dive in, in March, April, June of 2020, but recovered quite quickly because it was a, what we call a shock to the system that was man-made and then quickly unmade. So, uh, and all the fresh money kind of propelled markets to crazy absurd heights into the end of 2021, uh, where unfortunately uh, the, the chickens have come home to roost and uh, inflation started rearing its ugly head due to policy makers and uh, too much money in the system. It's, it was both policy induced and too much money in the system. So the Fed uh, did what it normally does and it's taken away the punch bowl, but they were taking away the punch bowl into a recession that was already beginning, uh, which is interesting. It's never happened before. So in my humble opinion, we're seeing things we've never seen before. The end of the of the of this credit system, the, the, the debt, the dollar debt system has been extended to all corners of the globe. There's nowhere else to go. So it can't grow anymore, so it has to collapse. And what's the sign of that collapse is the US dollar index versus other currencies going straight up. So we had inflation for the first time, a commodity boom into uh, um, a 200% rise in what's called the CRV, the Commodities Index. It's a basket of commodities, oil being the biggest one. That rose 200% into uh, June of 2022. And uh, coincidentally, the dollar also had a huge rally. It bottomed in uh, January of uh, 21, and it's been going up ever since. This is the first commodity cycle since we delinked from gold ever, where both the dollar and commodities have gone up. That's that's never happened. Why? Why? What, what usually happens in a commodity cycle? There's the dollar weakens and commodities go up, and conversely, when the dollar strengthens, commodities go down. Um, so this is the first time we've ever seen this, and it says to me that. Inflation was almost induced by policymakers at the same time as um, growth was slowing. So we call that stagflation. So this is this is a disaster of epic proportions, and I think the system is at an end, or the signposts of it being at an end are looming. Um, and now the Fed uh, is raising into what's going to be a very hard recession in Q1 and Q2, very hard. And uh, you know we we posted a GDP here in the U.S. of 2.6 percent last quarter. We already had it. We were already in a technical recession the first two quarters of the year. Um, that 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 little bump up in in GDP was nothing more than a strong dollar attracting foreign investment. Consumption was already starting to wane, and it's only going to get worse from here. The the um, the heating situation, commodity situation in Europe is shutting down Europe. Uh, China's you know rolling over. Uh, they have demographic issues and they have internal debt issues. So it's. It's going to come home to roost in the U.S., and that's when, you know, when the U.S. finally gives up the ghost, that's when everyone will declare, oh, we have a problem. Well, the problem is already global, and, you know, you guys in Europe are feeling it already. Yep. Uh, I mean, people in the U.S. are too U.S.-centric. I mean, it, you know, it starts off on the periphery, and it's coming here, and it's going to be a disaster. So Let, let, let me jump in and ask you a uh, I want to pick up on lots of those things, but let me ask you a practical question because from uh, from someone on the sidelines who's observing it, you have two ways of coping with that. One way is bankruptcy, and we saw that after 9-11, in the aviation sector especially, many airlines and aviation companies suddenly bankrupt and then would reappear the next day, rid of their debt, and I guess whoever lent them that money would suffer. But the way we're seeing it now is, well, debt will just stick it on the balance sheet of the country, of the central bank. Um, so there are seemingly 
two different ways of addressing debt. Um, that's layman's term. Do you want to kind of come back to that and respond to that? So, so you can default two ways. You can actually just not pay the interest payment and, and declare bankruptcy. Uh, that's a problem. It'll cause a systemic cascade. If one country declares bankruptcy, there'll be issues and it'll, it'll cause a systemic crisis. So how do you deflate? Uh, how do you, how do you uh, get rid of debt the other way? You, you inflate it away. So this inflation going happening while the dollar is going straight up in a, into a slowdown s- smacks of intentionality in that inflation, the, the global governments want inflation, but, they, but it's a, it's a tightrope they need to walk gingerly because if you inflate too fast, uh, you have food riots and there are already food riots happening in other countries and it, it becomes a big, big problem. It, it's, a, it's societal unrest. So they're, they're dancing dangerously close to a problem here with uh, inducing inflation. And that's how you get out of it. Because if you inflate the real economy, eventually the debt kind of takes care of itself versus real, you know, or not real GDP, but nominal GDP. So it's a game. It's a, it's, it's a game. So they're, I think the central bankers are not particularly concerned about this inflation. They want to pretend they are. Um, and inflation for the central planners and the politicians is a good thing, but not too much of it too fast. So th- th- this is this is why they're losing control. Uh, you know, the the common folk who've already been like struggling for 12 years, even though there hasn't been food inflation or f- fuel inflation up until recently, there was inflation in things you need like healthcare, education, uh, housing. So there's been inflation in assets and things you need now. Now there's inflation in like just bare necessities, yeah. and that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. And at, at the same time, these other assets that were inflated, like stocks, bonds, real estate, they're all going to deflate. So you have inflation in food and energy, deflation in these assets that people consider wealth. It's going to it's going to it's going to destroy consumption. And the, you know the U.S. is a consumption-based economy now. We don't really make anything here. So. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of societal unrest. You saw it in the midterms. Uh, the U S is going to experience things that a lot of the globe has been experiencing for a long time, but you know, wake up America. It's coming home. Can I, cause actually this came home to me. Um, and I realized there are all the pressures there, the, the pension funds on the brink. And we've seen that in the UK, uh, we see the, the strong dollar, we see the supply chain disconnect, um, we see the debt bubble, but it's that inflation uh, of goods that actually are basic services. So when I was in uh, in Bulgaria for the summer, where I always go in the summer because my wife from there, the foods actually were more expensive than the UK. And Bulgaria is one of the, the poorest countries in Europe, and yet the food is more expensive than here. So that's probably a doubling of staples of bread and milk and butter and eggs and ham over the last year. And that made me step back and think, wow, I had never experienced that in my lifetime. And I realized that people are actually struggling. If that's happening in one country, I guess I'll be replicated. So what that is, what you're talking about, unrest in society when people in Europe can't afford to actually feed themselves properly. Exactly. And, you know, uh, you probably remember the Arab Spring. Uh, 
that was uh i won't get into that but that 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 happened because food prices in the mid-east became 50 percent of uh income for the for the working class and once you hit 50 percent and you go above that that's when societal unrest occurs and uh that's what I, that's why there was all that turmoil in the in the Arab Spring occurred. It's it's now happening globally, and it's starting off in the peripheral countries, and it's working its way into um, the UK, France, Germany, and it's going to come home to the U.S. And it's already. I mean, people, uh, food prices here are, are, have become quite comical. Um, people are you know making do, but you know if you have another doubling, it's going to get super interesting here in the U.S. Um, super interesting. And again, you know, I, I'm aware of what's going on globally. A lot of people in the U.S. just, again, you got to take off your U.S. centric, uh, you know, glasses and understand that that there are other countries that have been struggling for a long time under the dollar reserve system. Uh, when I when I was over in what a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'm looking at the price of fuel on the East Coast, and wow. Americans have no idea of the cost. It's probably three times the price over in Europe. But I guess that will creep in and hit Americans. I wonder at what point, I mean, will the pensions crisis affect America? Uh, what will it be that hits Americans to wake up to the ensuing financial crisis? Well, so the, so the, the pension crisis is more severe in Europe because a lot of people get government pensions. Yeah. We, have, we have social security here in the US, but most people have an understanding that's not enough to live on. So they have their 401ks. There used to be corporate pensions. Those have gone the way of the dodo bird. But um, so a lot of people have wealth in their home and in the stock market. And I suspect as we go into next year uh, and they are feeling a lot poorer, the, the feedback loops are gonna get a lot worse. And um, unfortunately for the U.S., the stock market has become the economy because of the financial financialization of our economy. And a lot of people, you know, get paid in stock options and this and that. And so it, it just becomes a negative feedback loop. So the stock market going lower will drive our economic growth lower. It's, it's perverse. It used to be that the economy would drive the stock market. Now the stock market drives the U.S. economy. It's kind of sad, but that's where we are. And now that that is a little known fact that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, I, you know, I have a lot of friends in the hedge fund community, and they've looked at the data. And the data, the wealth effect, is one of the, the greatest um, reasons the U.S. economy continues to chug along. Granted, it's slow growth because people felt great when you know their stocks were up high in 2021, but that's that's over, and it's good. It's only going to get worse. And then. You know, uh, if we start having food issues here and fuel issues, there's been rumors of diesel running out uh, in the U.S. If the diesel stops and the trucks stop, you know, people in New York have three days worth of food. Good luck. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but these are the kinds of things you need to think about. If we have a, a diesel shortage in the U.S., the, tr the trucks will stop coming and New York has three days worth of food. That's the kind of weirdness we might see. I'm not predicting it, but that's the kind of thing that could happen. Well, the funny thing, you could be facing a shortage because you're sending all your gas over to Europe because Europe don't have any. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Biden's first executive order 
uh, when he got into office on day one was to stop uh, the um, Keystone Pipeline from Canada down to Louisiana to, you know, transport all the oil from the shale. And he's basically shut down shale oil production under the auspices of, uh, you know, the environment, um, what have you. But uh, it seems like this intentional uh, destruction of energy supply chains uh, is starting to come home to roost. So we, we started that in the U.S. when he got elected. That was two years ago. Then we have the, the Ukraine situation, which, you know, coincidentally happens to be in a very strategic uh, part of the world where, the, you know, they have fertilizer. Uh, it's a breadbasket of Europe. They also have pipelines running through there from Russia. This is, this, this is, this is, and those, and by the way, when these pipelines come down, they don't come back on like they split. I mean, these, this is a problem. It's a big problem. And I feel bad for people in Europe. Small businesses are looking at uh, electricity bills where they can't even operate. I mean, they're, I mean, bakeries, I've heard of bakeries shutting down in Belgium because they, they can't, they can't turn a profit with the electricity bill. That's used to be, X amount a year. Now that's their monthly bill. I mean, it's insanity. Yeah, we've seen prices tripling in the last 18 months. So uh, you've got a, a lot coming over in the States. But can I, you've written a book about COVID. You've written about the death from unknown, which seems to be a deadly disease, unknown happening. But if I, the financial aspect of of COVID, it seems as though, we are now in a situation where the government were telling people, you know, stay at home. We will pay you not to work. I mean, if you talk to someone six months before and said the government will pay you not to work, that would have been madness. You would have been a conspiracy theorist for saying that. But that seems to be the position we got in the government. And in, in Europe, we have a case where the government, don't worry, we'll look after you. But this has come to another level at that. Um seems to be, and I know you've talked about this, I've seen your tweets from early on in the crisis predicting what would happen. Um, it seems to be manufactured in many ways. Right. So let's, I don't want to get into whether COVID was created, the virus, or yeah. or used as an excuse. Let's just, let's just say it happened and they took advantage of it. And what was one of the first signposts for me uh, a month just a month after um, the lockdowns began, April 3rd of 2020, so a month, COVID hits, lockdowns, the Federal Reserve President James Bullard of St. Louis gets on Face the Nation. It's a Sunday news program, very widely watched by <clears throat> lots of people. And the, 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 uh, the host is asking him, how are we gonna reopen the economy when everyone is in fear? And he said, oh, good news. I forget her name. He goes, good news, whoever the reporter is. We have new technology that can track um, whether or not you got, uh, you, whether or not you've been tested for COVID and we could issue immunity badges. And I, when, as soon as I heard immunity badges, I said vaccine passport. I, I knew they were going to come out with a vaccine because there's already talk of a vaccine then. So I'm like, oh, vaccine passports. And then, um, uh, they said, "They said, well, when we come back to talk to um, uh, James Bullard, we're going to talk about all the new surveillance technology that uh, can be deployed to implement this. So what the hell was a Federal Reserve president doing a month after COVID talking about immunity badges, which, you know, in my mind, I started thinking of yellow stars on my shoulder, like, you know, in the Holocaust. Okay, like, what is this? 
that was floated and they quickly uh you know deep uh, de uh, uh buried that in a deep media hole and I, it was hard to find the video i finally did but they didn't talk about it for a year but i i kept saying in uh in 2020 that there'd be vaccine passports that there'd be mandates that they would start to demonize the unvaccinated and i made a tweet thread in may of 2020 under the auspices of, I called it a dystopian movie because no one, everyone, I couldn't say that's what I thought was coming because everyone thought I was insane. But my dystopian movie script turned out to be exactly what happened. And I said, and the, um, the it, it was it was basically like the trailer to a dystopian movie before the movie starts. And I said, our movie begins in 2020. It's called Freedom, 2022, it's called Freedom's Last Stand. And I said that the media uh, complex would censure anybody who uh, didn't uh, tow the narrative, which is which is what we've seen. So, why was I able to do that? Because if if I knew a sovereign debt crisis was coming, okay, and I knew the financial system was going to implode, wouldn't it be nice to have a control system in place under the auspices of a vaccine passport, which would then be linked to a digital ID, which would then be linked to a central bank digital currency? So you have a control system. That then makes everyone a good citizen, complies. You can, you can shut down riots by saying, oh, COVID, you can't riot because, you know. Now, <clears throat> things have changed since then in these, uh, uh, I think unfortunately for these central planners, uh, the vaccine was a complete failure because not only did it not work, it was so unsafe that like bodily, bodies are piling up all over the place. So it's, a, it's. This, if this was a plan, it was poorly executed, and now there's evidence of crimes. <clears throat> um, tell us about <clears throat> where where it goes on the debt side, um, because with debt becoming greater and greater, man, I'm thinking inflation in Bulgaria at 15%, that means in six years what you have is worth nothing. But that inflation being a little bit separate from the debt pile that's becoming unsustainable in the UK, we're having this battle which just took down one prime minister because of taxes and debt. And the next one now wants to ramp up uh, our taxes to, again, a level we haven't seen since 1945 at the moment, and that's going to be even higher. So where... Where do we go with the size of debt that keeps increasing, increasing worldwide? Uh, that's the conundrum, right? <clears throat> it needs constant credit. It needs to grow and grow. So you need lenders. You need you need borrowers to borrow. We have no more borrowers, so that's that. So it implodes on itself. Now the question is the speed at which it implodes. Does it happen slowly? so they can manage it or does it happen fast and they can't manage it? And that's, that's what happened in 2008, 2009. It, it happened so fast that they freaked out and they did what they did. But are we gonna have a controlled implosion or a fast implosion? That I don't know. I know that we're imploding and it can be fast or slow. What I can say is <clears throat> a lot of the debt is, it's actual debt that governments have issued like in us issuing treasury bonds and treasury bills and you know gilts in your you know in the uk that kind of thing right but there's also these unfunded liabilities all the pensions um you know all these social programs those are unfunded liabilities that just kind of get funded out of uh gdp and taxes and sometimes they borrow to do other things but i think all that stuff 
uh, is a big, big problem. It's, it's, it's actually bigger than the, the, you know, if you add all the unfunded liabilities, it makes the debt problem even bigger. And that's the societal problem. I think what people need to understand is the social contract has been broken. It's over. So you, and again, you can either not, they can either not pay you, which would be, that would be instant riots, or they can inflate your payment away so that you get your payment. Uh, but it's not worth anything and you starve to death with, you know, instead of getting what you thought could be something that could sustain you on a government pension, uh, you know, you're begging for bread. That's, but you know, they, you don't know that you've been defrauded. Um, the other thing that's going on that I can't prove at all, but if I was an evil genius, um, just, this is pure speculation and I had a debt problem and all these unfunded liabilities. Wouldn't it be nice to lower the life expectancy so that you didn't have to pay these people? Because the longer someone lives, the longer you have to pay a pension. So wouldn't it be nice to get rid of old people and, you know, get rid of your debt, your unfunded liability that way? I'm just saying, I have no proof, but if I was an evil genius with an unfunded liability problem, that, that might come into play. Again, it's just very coincidental this vaccine is as deadly as it is and and, and as disabling as it is. Well, here in the UK, health and pension are the two things that are out of control. And I think when the government propped up the pension industry a couple of weeks ago, uh, part of that, they issued bonds to do that. But 40% of the bonds were being bought by the Bank of England, by the Central Bank. So they were issued, they were raising money by just buying themselves by increasing the debt and you think whenever the public are told don't worry we'll issue bonds you expect you think that there are others coming there kind of as a white knight to save the country to save the industry with floods of cash but actually it's just generating more and more debt so me uh, tell, tell us about because that i most of the public don't get that and they hear when money's been raised that actually money is coming from somewhere but it's not really so this game of central banks buying their own debt has been working until it can't work. And so let's, what's the release valve for uh, the, all of this? Currencies. So currencies are traded based on interest rate differentials and credit ratings of countries. So if the UK keeps doing what it's doing, eventually the currency will suffer. And then there'll be, and so you, you know, versus other currencies. So this is, the release valve has always been currencies. So guess what's been going straight up the last two, year and a half, the US dollar. So, because it's, the, so, so the dollar is going to fail up. Other currencies are going to weaken again. So we'll be the last man standing, but then we'll have to have a mea culpa, new system, de-link from the dollar debt system. And that's where the CBDC comes in. So. You may, the UK can keep doing what it's doing. It's a stopgap measure, and it, it, they won't declare bankruptcy. But eventually, versus other countries that maybe you guys may be better off than some other country that has to do even more than you. So your currency holds. So it's this it's this game of uh, currency wars. But once one country goes kaplooey, that's when it all unravels. And it, it you know not not so, not you know Sri Lanka because they just had a problem, but. Yeah. Some major Western country goes kaboom. It's going to be a problem, and it's going to be the. I think the some of the Southern European nations got serious issues with uh, demographic problems, aging populations, no young people to 
um, come in and fund that and or, you know, their economies have been strip mined and they don't really, I mean, what does Italy do? I, I'm not even sure. I mean, they tourism. It makes coffee, sells you coffee. It's coffee, <laughs> some wine, tourism. I, what goes on there? I'm not really sure. <laughs> that's, no, a whole, that's a whole other area <laughs> not i mean not I'm, I'm not disparaging italians but you know like what what because because they're part of the eu yeah. uh let, let, let's talk about the european uh union and the uh the euro that's done it's not a question of if but when that blows up and everybody goes back to their own currency so that that's in the cards it's unsustainable because germany uh uh, in France kind of float everybody else's boat and the other people are having a good time on them. So that, 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 that won't last. The UK pulled out of that, uh, nonsense. Thank God. That was one of the smartest thing you guys did. <laughs> I know there's a, I know, I know the establishment there didn't like it, but nope. that's, that was smart. Uh, if only we could take control of our system post pulling out, but that's a whole other question. The failure of British politics. Can <laughs> I, uh, as we come to an end, can I? You mentioned uh, CBDC, central bank digital currency, uh, and from someone who uh, I've delved into crypto over the last two or three years, tried to understand it. And central bank digital currency seems to be a power grab by countries concerned of a separate financial system that is outside the control of central banks. And nothing can be ever outside the control of the government system. Is that a, a fair? Do you want to just kind of touch on that to let us know how that's playing out? Because I think India talked about their own central bank digital currency by the end of next year, which is frighteningly fast for such a large economy. So when you have a central bank digital currency, you eliminate cash, everything is tracked. And, you know, uh, there was a, I forget the guy's name, but he's a very immense job with a hot looking character from the Bank of International Settlements said a, a year ago on video, oh, when we do this, we'll be able to control uh, what you buy, when you buy. Uh, I mean, it's total, it's total control. So it's even worse than what you just said. I mean, this is, if we get a central bank digital currency, um, it will be used to control whatever, whatever the, you know, whatever is their fancy, if they decide that meat is causing global warming, uh, you know, your allotment of meat will shut off. So you'll go to the grocery store and they'll say, sorry, sir, you can't buy any more meat. They'll be able to control that. They'll have a debt and the credit card companies will be linked. So it, it, it's, it's literally slavery. It's like, it's like you're working for the company store. That's what's going on. And, you know, and oh, your meats, you know, toilet paper. Nope. Sorry. I mean, it's insanity. No, absolutely. Um, Ed, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for um, coming along and explaining that. And can I just finish off with your um, your book again? Sure. Uh, again, it's quite different. And it's always interesting when someone comes out with a book. It's not as if you're writing lots and lots of finance books that you come out with this and it's like, wow, something quite different. And it's simply because you've seen what's been happening and you want to talk about that um so just to finish off um how did actually you sitting down and putting this together how did that come about because you could always say i'm sure someone else will write the book so because of my work and focus on all cause mortality and being a financial guy that just looks at numbers and you know i just look at numbers and the numbers tell me what i need to do 
And uh, that's how I've, it's always been in my career. And I like to find trends before everybody else. So we saw a trend. The, you know, there's a mainstream media lockdown in any counter narrative. So I've not been as widely, um, uh, I've done a lot of independent media, but you know, what I found should be blasted all over mainstream media because we're killing people yeah. and disabling people. Okay, having said that, they didn't do that. So I, the book was pitched to me in August by Gavin DeBecker and, uh, and uh, Tony Lyons who of Skyhorse Publishing because I think my message is so important it needs to get out there. So I wrote a book in four weeks it was a team effort. A lot of the other um, stuff you're going to see in the book was assembled by uh, people other than myself, all the anecdotal stories of, of sudden athletic death. But you're going to read. It's a quick read. It's 210 pages. It takes about three hours to read. But it's basically like a sell-side research report from Wall Street, just taking you through my thesis. My thesis is the vaccines are doing this. Here's the evidence. And here's like three or four different databases that all confirm each other. Now you can deny it. If you have a different explanation, fine. But we we should be able to talk about it. And then I say, the the uh, powers that be and the health authorities see the data that I see, and they're not acting. And uh, now some have acted. Denmark is a disaster. Denmark literally has two had two pandemics: COVID and vaccines. The vaccine pandemic was way worse. They saw literally every year uh, since 2020 a rise in young adult deaths, uh, excess mortality. So what did they do recently? They stopped vaccinating under 50. They said, We're, we will no longer vaccinate under 50. It's better to get COVID, which is basically an admission that the vaccine will, you have a better shot of dying from the vaccine than you do of getting COVID, which has always been the case. So this cover-up is going on. It's a crime. It's negligent. And the, the, the purpose of the book and the reason it was pitched to me is to get it out to as many people as possible so that you know you can make a smart decision for you and your family and try to convince other people that you've been bamboozled and fooled and that there's a cover-up in crime going on right now as we speak. Well, I will certainly get a copy of the ebook uh, living here in the UK and hope to see the actual hardback or paperback come here in the UK. And it is a great Christmas present. The The website is, well, edwarddowd.com, but the actual URL it takes you to is theylightpeopledied.com. Yes, it, which, the website yeah. theylightpeopledied.com. Um, we also have the Humanity Project on financetechnologies.com, P-H-I, Nance. It's, it's P-H-I-N-A-N-C-E technologies.com. And the Humanity Project is this was put together by two PhD physicists who are on, working on the hedge fund with me. They wrote a methodology paper on how they calculate the baseline. Uh, this could be a peer-reviewed study, but we don't even want to bother with that nonsense because they won't accept it. So we made this unassailable, unassailable in that will probably be ignored because they can't they can't put they can't poke any holes in the data. The data is there. Now we make a concerted effort not to make any conclusions on the website because we want people to use it just to make their, but you know, I have my, my, my thesis is, is the vaccines. My two team members believe it is, but we kind of stay away from conclusions because we just want people to um, look at it as a scientific based study that shows that across the Western nations, um, people are dying at alarming rates that, that did not happen during COVID, especially younger folks. We had a mix shift from old to young in 21 and 22. Uh, and I find that curious. I, you know, you can't tell me that a vaccine decided to only go after young employed people. 
<laughs> the most dangerous group in the world. Um, yes. Same here. I've enjoyed uh, reading stuff and trying to understand where it leads and trying to make my own mind up because you get bombarded with lots of uh, lots of conclusions, I think. And it's important to try and understand how you get from A, B, C, and D. Um, Ed, I appreciate you coming along. Thank you so much. People can follow you at Edward Doyd on Getter. All the links will be in the description. As it's a pre-record, you can listen to the viewers uh, on any of the video platforms. And if you listen on the go, you can catch it on Podbean or in the podcasting apps. So do make sure, make use of Ed on Getter, also the website, uh, and get a hold of the book, either as ebook or hardback when it comes out. And I know you'll think of a number of people who will benefit from that as a Christmas present. So on that, I wish our viewers a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on our next interview. So thank you and goodbye. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Appreciate your time. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.